Welcome to E-Commerce with Coffee, a podcast powered by Amber Engine, where we share e-com secrets for brands over your favorite brew. We start with the caffeine and then leap enthusiastically into behind-the-scenes e-com insights that led to the success of our guests. I'm Nate Svoboda, and I'm about to serve you up the best. Let's get started. Hey, Eddie, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Thank you very much for joining us today on our inaugural episode of um, the podcast. Um, you know, really quick for our listeners, Eddie Perello, he is our director of product management here at Amber Engine. Um, he studied mathematical uh, and computer science at Stanford, and he really immediately launched his career into the world of e-commerce. So Eddie would love if you could give us the, the high level bullet points of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I, I mean, being the inaugural guest is a bit of a, a bit intimidating. Hopefully, I don't, uh, I uh, don't let anyone down and produce some uh, some quality content. But um, just to kind of talk about how I ended up in e-commerce, I feel like it's a story that's similar to a lot of people. Um, you kind of just end up there uh, by chance, right? Like uh, certain opportunities present themselves throughout your life, and you just take them as they come, um, and. I just happened to, as I was graduating and looking for uh, my first job out of school, uh, I was, you know, Stanford Math and Com Computer Science, uh, and almost basically everybody I knew was going into consulting or investment banking. That was just kind of the path. Uh, if you weren't going to grad school or academia, you were going to investment banking or consulting. Um, a few were going into tech startups, which at the time meant Google and Facebook um, and Twitter, which was brand new. Um, and so, so I, I was, I was doing the rounds interviewing with like Goldman Sachs. I actually interviewed with Lehman brothers right before they collapsed. Um, and, uh, I, I really kind of took stock of what I wanted to do, um, and realized that it wasn't for me. Um, I wanted to do something. I had worked with nonprofits during my time in college and I really wanted to work somewhere where I could have a positive impact on the world um, and found this opportunity with a small bookseller at the time called Better World Books, which was a uh, an e-commerce shop. They sold used books online. They still do. They're one of the largest used booksellers in the world. Uh, and uh, the position was for a marketing person, an e-commerce marketing person. Um, and I was like, oh, this could be interesting. Um, I talked to them, met their founder, uh, really loved the mission. Uh, funding literacy initiatives around the world, donating books to children in need, um, providing textbooks to kids in Africa, really, really great stuff, made me really happy and excited to, to contribute. And um, yeah, I started off in, uh, in e-com marketing, right? So I was doing, I was running AdWords, running affiliate programs, uh, running kind of email marketing, social media marketing. Again, at the time, social media was very new. So I built the company's Facebook page, uh, their Twitter profile, and like got it from, you know, brand new, nobody's doing this to, to you know, 100,000 followers and all that kind of stuff, which was really exciting at the time. Um, and then just kind of progressed from there, right? Within that organization, started to take on more product responsibilities, started to take on more e-commerce responsibilities, um, and really got deep into um, kind of the operational side of e-commerce. So how you run an e-commerce business and Better World Books is a very unique e-commerce business in that, you know, there are roughly 30 million SKUs. 
um, sell across 60 or 70 different channels, um, really competitive commodity market. So it strives to be zero. So you have to be very aggressive with your pricing. Um, there's no difference between my copy of Harry Potter and your copy of Harry Potter. So the only thing that's going to convince a customer to buy is oftentimes price. So it was, I started running the pricing uh, part of the business and the algorithms behind that pricing and all of the strategies and really went deep into that. Um, and then over time, just kind of the organization grew a bunch and decided to move on to from the selling side to the software side of e-commerce um, and found myself in a series of startups kind of supporting businesses sell online, having had the experience of trying to sell online in a very competitive space. Um, I had a pretty good idea of the kinds of things that you need to do in order to succeed. And I wanted to focus on developing software that helped brands and manufacturers achieve those results. So that's kind of where my career has taken me and how I ended up here really at Amber Engine. Yeah, well, definitely, it, it seems like that's where you've gotten, right, on the software side, developing platforms that'll help businesses, you know, be able to better reach their consumers online, especially in the ever-shifting landscape of e-commerce. Um, you know, I guess in, in the name of, uh, of our podcast, I, I feel like I'm, I need to ask the question, Eddie, given all of the hats that you wear and all the things you do on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, what role does caffeine play in your life? I know the answer for me personally. I'm curious to hear for you. Yeah, ironically, it plays no role at all. Um, I, I, uh, I these days I'm I'm pretty much exclusively drinking water. Uh, I, I caffeine has uh, I have an interesting relationship with caffeine. It dates back to my childhood. Um, I, I'm Cuban Venezuelan, and my family very much uh, it's traditional to have coffee after dinner, right? As it is in many Hispanic cultures, and so as a child, you know, maybe four or five years old, my grandmother would give me cafe con leche coffee with milk and really way too much sugar um, right before bed. Um, and so, so as I was getting ready for bed, I would have coffee with milk and Cuban bread and butter and I would dunk the bread in the, in the coffee and drink the coffee and eat the bread and then go to sleep. And so my, my relationship with, uh, with coffee in particular and caffeine in general is kind of an inverse relationship. It, it brings me this sense of comfort. I imagine it's what like most people associate with something like hot chocolate, right? Like it's something cozy that you just wanna like get a blanket and go to bed, um, which is really not very very uh, productive if you're trying to, to build something <laughs> or get to work, right? It's not, the, yeah, not right. what you want. Um, you might, even the nice. we even though we may all want to take a nap during the middle of the day, it's not always conducive to a productive work day, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah. No, I, I, I wish that I, I wish that I drank more water. I've got, I've got my cold brew uh, that's always near at hand for me, um, and I definitely <laughs> feel like I'd be asleep right now if I hadn't been drinking it. So definitely, very, very interesting. I know a few people that have similar experiences, but well, Eddie, really want to dive in. Um, you know, 2020, I think it goes without saying, was a very interesting year for e-commerce. I mean, I, I've read in a number of publications, you know, we saw 10 years worth of e-commerce growth in just the past 12 months. Now, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on what is one of the least obvious changes that you haven't heard people talking about as much in relation to e-commerce? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's not obvious or under the radar per se, but um but I think people are underestimating the step function nature of the changes that we just went through. Um, I think 
I think, especially in certain industries, um, and we're starting to see some of these reports come out now that really quantify this, but particularly in things like grocery, right, which is one of the most, the largest categories uh, in, you know, that in retail period, um, saw a massive adoption growth in e-commerce by necessity, right? We couldn't go to the grocery store. We had to, you know, we had to order, right? We got things like Instacart and, you know, various other platforms out there that, you know, grocers themselves favor had started, got acquired by HEB here in Austin. Um, a handful of these kind of services popped up of delivery and, and really, people got more and more comfortable with other people picking out their fruit for them or other people bringing their groceries to their door. I know personally, I haven't stepped foot in a grocery store in over a year. Um, and going forward, I probably won't be setting foot in grocery stores very often, right? Um, it's, it's not something that I used to do. It wasn't something that was part of my routine, but but going forward, it certainly will be. And I know that grocery has been kind of the the mecca for for these WalMarts and these brands, Amazon, right? Amazon Fresh with the Whole Foods, et cetera, um, really kind of pinpointed as the vertical where the most growth potential was. And at this point, we've seen probably, as you were saying, like 10 years worth of adoption in the last you know 12 months. Um, so it's it's really kind of a a very significant sea change in the industry that happened very quickly. And what we'll see is, you know, people will, as things open up, we'll see the numbers dip a little bit, but where we end up after all this is said and done will be a significant amount of growth there. We'll see a huge step forward in adoption. And, um, and that's, I think people are underestimating how big a deal that is. Uh, that, that is kind of where the majority of purchases and dollars are spent on consumer packaged goods, on things that perish. Um, and e-commerce just saw major adoption growth in that area. Absolutely. Now, you know, obviously I have a fairly a fairly strong understanding of the offering uh, Amber Engine provides and product information management solution. But, you know, before we talk about, um, you know, some changes within developing the platform, can you help our viewers know what is a PIM solution? Sure. Um, so product information management is... Uh, a suite of tools um, traditionally is a suite of tools that helps you centralize your product data and manage your product data. So the information about what you sell as a brand or manufacturer, right? Your product images, your product names, your descriptions, your marketing bullets, all of that kind of data associated with a product is stored in this centralized system um, and made available to your across your organization for people to collaborate and deliver that data to partners. Um, traditionally, PIM has been, you know, it's, it's a fairly nascent field, I would say, despite it being around for quite a while. Um, so PIM has been, has existed in some form or another for, for you know, 20 years now, probably, um, maybe even more. Um, but the industry and the trend, the, the way things are sold and the way that brands and manufacturers interact with their retail partners has changed dramatically over that time. So the, the industry is undergoing a vast change as, you know, as everything else changes around it, right? As things become more and more digital, as brands realize that uh, their data needs to be personalized and more targeted to end users, 
as retailers fight amongst each other for wallet share and mind share of customers, these kind of second level uh, operations become more and more important. So optimizing and tweaking and integrating directly and sending data to your partners and all of these different pieces of the e-commerce puzzle get pulled into solutions like PIM. Um, and so that's kind of the direction the industry is going, uh, but PIM itself is really at its core, a place to centralize your data, to manage your data, um, to govern that data so that you can set rules around it. Um, and then to ultimately, in some cases, in some of the more advanced and more modern PIMs, syndicate that out to channels and partners so that you can activate it across, uh, across your touch points. Right. And you touched on this a, a little bit a second ago, but just to expand on it or, or really hit the nail on the head, how have the priorities you as the director of product management changed in regards to developing this tool, right? I mean, in the past few years, has it been mostly because of new needs you've heard from potential customers? Has it been, you know, pressure from more and more brands entering the e-commerce realm? You know, help me understand that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a number of things. Um, so there are, so I think there are a couple of major shifts, right? That have happened over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years or so, right? More and more brands have started to sell online. Um, and the online portion of their sales has become a larger share of their overall market, uh, overall revenue. Um, and so uh, as these, you know, retailers like Amazon, um, Walmart shop, you know, investing a ton of money into their dot-com experience, a lot of direct-to-consumer and more niche markets, marketplaces popping up here and there have come around, uh, the need for centralizing your data and the flexibility required to meet all of those different requirements across the gamut of channels a brand might sell on has become more important. So PIMS, again, you know, at its core was really about getting your own data in order, right? Like getting your house in order. It was usually owned by IT. They own the master copy of your data and they had, um, you know, all of the the governance and rules and checks on making changes to that data. So if you wanted to change your marketing copy, you would need to go to your IT guy and submit a ticket and get, um, you know, get wait a week or two weeks, and then they would make that change for you in your data. That doesn't work, right? As, as, as the world becomes more digital and as the marketplace requires and demands more flexibility and adaptability, that old paradigm just falls, it just falls short entirely. So we've really, PIMS in general, I would say, but us specifically have focused on building something that enables you to get your data into one place, right? Still fulfill the original promise of a PIM, manage that data and set your own rules around what is required, um, what isn't, you know, create workflows and, and ways to enrich and optimize your data internally, but then in turn support many versions of your data that will ultimately end up going out to the different channels because a customer on Costco is very different than a customer on Kroger, is very different than a customer at Amazon. And those channels have different requirements for what they need because of that. Um, and so in order to really deliver and um, be as successful as possible in this digital world, you need to optimize for those endpoints. And so we're really focused on building a tool that allows you to, one, keep your data in order and centralized and organized, 
but two, allow you the flexibility to build out to build out versions of your data for each of those endpoints in a in a quick and easy way that references and leverages the information that you're managing and tweaking and optimizing, but really ensures that you're going to send the right data in the right format uh, with the right messaging uh, at the right time, so that when that customer hits that product page on Walmart.com, they see information that's relevant to them and that's more likely to make them buy, more likely to make them happier, have a better experience, build brand loyalty so that they keep coming back and maybe tell a friend or two. And, and you just made a lot of great points, right? I mean, someone who's shopping on Wayfair likely has a different intention than someone who's buying something on Target or on Costco.com or you know, insert any other marketplace or channel. But with the huge rise that we've been seeing in direct-to-consumer selling, you know, brands have to have a big personality, right? And some of the most successful brands that we've seen have really spent a lot of time and resources fleshing that personality out. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts. How can that personality be pumped or, or come through in product data? Yeah, I mean, this is a really good point that you bring up because uh, the reality is the product page today is probably the most valuable piece of real estate you have when it comes to interacting with customers. Um, what we tell brands and what we work with, you know, when we work with manufacturers and brands, we tell them that, you know, this is probably the spot where you will establish that relationship with the customer, whether they're buying online or not. I know from personal experience when I'm, you know, before when I was allowed to go into stores, I would go into a store and if I were buying something, the first thing I would do is pull out my phone and look up that product on the website or on Amazon or on Walmart or wherever and read reviews, look at their product data, look at their information about how the product is used. So things like lifestyle images, things like you know romance copy or uh, lifestyle type copy, the below the fold kind of enhanced content, rich media type content, all of that stuff is really your billboard as a brand to, to, to pro broadcast your message to kind of really connect with your audience and, and give them the, the, uh, the real full picture of who you are, the aspirational pieces of your brand, whatever it might be that connects you with a customer, that's where that interaction is going to happen. Increasingly, it's you know product pages and social, and social is becoming even more of an e-commerce type channel. Um, but those are those are the spots where where you're really the smart brands, the ones that are really winning online, are are investing a ton of resources to making sure that their messaging is tight and making sure that it's resonating with their audiences, and also recognizing that the same message might not resonate with every audience. So. You know, your message to a Costco buyer is probably different than your message to a Walmart buyer or, you know, a high-end boutique buyer. Um, and right. so your content needs to reflect that. And that's how you can, that's how you can capture the most share. And that's how, frankly, we see smaller businesses that are direct to consumer competing with these, you know, monolithic, gigantic mega corporations that have hundreds of years of history because e-commerce yeah. really levels that playing field. Absolutely. And Eddie, I, I want to be conscious of your schedule. You're an extremely busy guy. Do you have time for one more question? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think this is this is one that I'm really curious to hear your answer on. I'm, I'm sure our listeners are too. 
what's on the horizon for new PIM features that are in development, either coming up soon or maybe a little bit more down the product roadmap? I'm hoping you can give us maybe a, a bit of a sneak preview. Sure. Yeah, we're, we've been, um, so basically since I joined Amber Engine about a year ago, um, we've been focused pretty much exclusively on delivering the next generation of PIM. Um, and so we're, we're getting close to the point where that's going to be released. And again, it's, it's a lot of the things that I've been talking about. It's really kind of building on some of those foundational elements that, that exist in PIM um, and optimizing and setting them up to, uh, to, to really succeed, setting a brand up to succeed and get value from the solution right away. Um, so for us, it's, it's about building on that, on that baseline uh, and building a tool that really lets brands get their data in right away. This is something that, you know, in my experience working in PIMS in the last five years or so, um, it's been very much a challenge to get data in, right? Usually PIMS and solutions like it are very much a, whatever quality of data you put in is the quality of data you get out. Um, and they don't have the tools necessary to really allow you to enrich and optimize your data within the solution. So oftentimes what that means is long onboarding processes that force users to you know, spend a lot of time working in Excel before they ever upload their data into the system and start using it. So what we wanted to do was build those enrichment and optimization tools directly into the product so that you can get your data in on day one and start messing around and start getting value out of it. Um, and so that's been a major focus of ours. And then again, like we talked about, um, it's really about having the rigidity necessary to ensure that you're sending the right data to channels, but having the flexibility necessary to ensure that you can generate the kinds of experiences that you want to generate for your own direct-to-consumer sites um, and for your own kind of customer base. So it's a, it's a balance of, of taking what's worked really well in the industry and what we see kind of working really well in the industry and building on it to uh, to address some of its shortcomings across that I've seen across across the industry in the PEM space. Right. And I, I obviously won't hold you to this, but any idea when we might be able to uh, expect some of these awesome new features? Um, it'll be within the next couple of months for sure. Um, I, I, our develop, I, I know our, our head of development would probably strangle me if I gave a specific date, so I'll, I'll avoid doing that. But um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're actively working on this stuff. Um, we've started to show, like, showcase some of this stuff in beta format for some, uh, for some internal users and others. Uh, and we've, it's really special and really exciting stuff. All of the feedback we've been getting has been fantastic. And I can't wait for it to be out in the world, um, having spent you know, the last 12 months or so uh, working on it. Uh, and, and really, I'm excited to, uh, for brands to get their hands on it and, and uh, and really take advantage of some of these features and tools. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for the I can't wait for the stuff to come out. And you know, obviously, I think we'll have to get you back on the show to, to talk to us a little bit more about it when we have something to show. But Eddie, uh, really, really can't thank you enough for your time today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm lucky that I get to talk to you on a regular basis. Um, so I'm going to let you get to your next meeting, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. All right. Thank you. Really appreciate Thanks, Eddie. it. That's it for this episode of E-commerce with Coffee, powered by Amber Engine. If you haven't gotten your fix yet, be sure to get more e-commerce brand secrets on our website at amberengine.com. And don't forget to subscribe for more episodes.